Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by thatleisureshop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Well, hello and welcome to another special edition of the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm not with Keith this week, but I'm joined by a live audience here at Campervan Campout and two very special guests. This week we're talking, is the future of campervans and motorhomes all electric? Well, probably. I've got lots of questions about this and I'm struggling for answers. Is it the fear of change that worries me? Is it the fear of change that worries you? Perhaps it's the unknown. In this live episode today, I plan to lift the lid on this huge topic and pick the brains of two of the industry's biggest experts. So I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan Bowditch, Leisure Vehicle Manager for Ford Pro Special Vehicles and responsible for the huge growth in Ford Transit in the motorhome world in very recent times. Ryan, a very good afternoon to you. How are you? If I'd have been Trevor, I could have been like Transit Trevor <laughs> and Motorhome Matt, right? Well, if you want to go with Transit Trev, we can go with that. That's fine. No, Van Victor. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me here today. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. So what is Ford Pro? Can I ask you that? Yeah, sure. So Ford Pro is now the part of the Ford organisation responsible for commercial vehicles. So we're typically working with other businesses and specifically where I work with converters to support them with their industries in getting vehicles out to the the retail customer base. You are responsible then for the supply of the the transit van into the motorhome world, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, I've been in this role for just over a year. Uh, I've actually worked for Ford Motor Company for about 19 years in total now, so I started off as a Ford apprentice. My role now is very much supporting large uh, leisure converters all around Europe um, with their uh, not only van but chassis needs. So I'm responsible for not only transit vans, Uh, but also transit chassis and also transit custom-sized vehicles supplying them into the the world of leisure. And you've got a grasp and a grip on the future of the e-transit as well, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, E-transit is uh, clearly a massive thing for Ford at the moment, launched just recently. We're starting to see now a little bit of that penetrating into the world of leisure. Clearly very important for the future for all of us. This is Paul Kirby a.k.a. the electric van man. So just by way of intro, Paul helps corporate companies transition their van fleets to electric and thus zero emissions. Paul, a very warm welcome. Is that a fair introduction for you? Yeah, it's a a fair introduction. I'm I'm really keen to accelerate that transition to zero emissions. So not all people can go electric straight away, but it's about finding a place to start and then providing the consultancy, the training, and any sort of kind of video communication, promo sort of things that that help people understand this journey better. And you've been involved in the EV world for some time though, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I I first drove an electric sprinter, sorry, uh, back in 2004. Um, So they've been around for a long, long time, and, and they've sort of peaked and troughed a few times, but now we're seeing that sort of main, more mainstream adoption today. So let's get to it. So the future, we're all agreed, is going to be electric. I think that's inevitable. Ryan, can I just start with a question for you? The Stellantis Group, that's the rest of us, that's Fiat, Peugeot and Citroen, 
have had massive issues with supply into our world and, and they've traditionally dominated it with over 75% of our motorhomes being Fiat or Citroen and Peugeot, etc. But this has changed significantly in the, in the last couple of years. We've seen more and more Ford Transits appearing on the front badge. Well done you. Is it a case that Fiat have just got it wrong and you've jumped on the opportunity? What's happened? Yes, I, th I think this is a story that starts uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, I think the, you know, it's fair to say that the leisure vehicle industry as a whole was doing very, very well up until the pandemic. The industry was increasing year over year. And that already had started to get converters thinking about how they make their supply chains more robust. So yes, they was heavily reliant on pretty much a single OEM, uh, which is fine up until a point. But when you need more vehicles, you have to then diversify where you get your supply from. Then the pandemic took hold, unfortunately. But for the leisure business, that just uh, exploded, right? Overnight, that just increased significantly, further exacerbating the problem of that one OEM cannot supply all of those vehicles. So yes, it is uh, a supply thing, whereby we're seeing now that converters can't put all of their eggs in one basket, and they're looking for other OEMs to support them with that business. But also, I think it's fair to say that Ford have been within the motorhome industry for a long period of time, clearly not to the extent of some of our rivals. But we'd been building up the products, the expertise over time. For example, we've been working with the Trigano Group uh, for a long period of time. Where we have a, we've had a camper chassis in the portfolio for a long period of time. And so when those converters needed to pick up the phone and get supply from another OEM, for them, Ford was a was a good choice and an obvious choice and I think it's fair to say now that we're building those relationships we're improving the products and hence now you're seeing Ford take a, a bit of a grip on the leisure industry and that's that's not just only what we're seeing here in the UK but that's around Europe as well. And is that because you built a new factory in Turkey? Why is it? The factory for Turkey has been there for, for quite some time. We've got great partners um, out in Ford Otisan that build all our transit commercial vehicles. First of all, we built up the team. So if you go back a couple of years ago, the special vehicles team was pretty much one or two people. And they were looking after the entire conversion industry for Ford, uh, not only within the UK, within Europe. So you talk about tippers, you talk about blue light vehicles, all of that stuff. It was a relatively small group of people looking after that. Now we've got a team run by myself that's dedicated specifically to leisure. So we can go out there, we can engage with the converters, we can engage with the customers, find out really what it is that they need to make the product a success, and then we can put that into our products moving forward. So we have great relationships at a business level, but also at a customer level, again, to ensure the success of the product. And what guarantees can you give to us about supply over the next few years of the Ford Transit? Supply is always a tricky one. I think we've learned certainly a lot of lessons uh, in the last few years. It's been a challenging few years, not only for, for Ford, but for many other industries as well. Fingers crossed and touchwood and all of that. We're certainly seeing some improvements there. Things are getting better. We're starting to get out of this pandemic era now. Um, supply is improving. We're getting more robust around that. There's certainly other challenges in the world, such as logistics. So it's one thing to actually build your vehicles, but then you've got to actually get them delivered to where they need to be. So that's another challenge we're working on at the moment. But I would like to think that moving forward, we've got plans in place now to ensure a much better level of supply, right size to, um, to the industry. Paul, I want to talk to you about a government law. So this has been written into law that in 2030, all new vehicles sold in the UK have to be a minimum 
probably hybrid, so ability to travel 80 miles without using fossil fuel. And then in 2035, so only 12 years from now, all new vehicles sold have to be non-fossil fuel. We're not ready, are we? No, no, we're not. We're not ready. <laughs> oh, that's encouraging. Yeah. There's a lot of work to do. And, and just, just for clarity, on the 2030 law, it's not quite law yet. So it is um, written, legislation that's written, but 2030 could change still. 2035 can't. So 2035, everything must be electric or zero emission, more to the point, from 2035 in the car, small van, and I think some of the trucks as well. That Those sectors are all now, 2035, that's zero emission. But 2030, it's got to be a hybrid, plug-in hybrid. It must have a plug on it, and it must do a reasonable range, they su- suggest. Could be 80 miles. That would make sense. So from 2030, we're going to have significant change. So we're going to be changing over the next six or so years everything that we've been doing for the last hundred or so years. So it's massive in terms of a change. However, we can take some comfort from the fact that in the 1890s, all of our transport on the boats was electric, or a lot of it. And in the 1900s, the early 1900s, the first vehicles were electric. And actually, in an efficiency kind of world, the battle between electric and diesel was already won by electric once. But then the availability of diesel, or petrol as it was at the time, um, was the thing that won out. So we're kind of coming back to where we started all of this transition or this transport kind of world. The acceleration to zero emission transport is is such an important point across a multiple of different subjects, you know, air quality, the climate, actually just efficiency and a nicer way to be operating a vehicle. All of those things really matter. So, yeah, it's, it's a big thing. It's a hard thing. And no, we're not ready. If you're listening to this here in the live audience or listening on your headphones at home, It doesn't mean that our diesel vehicles are going to disappear, does it? It just means new vehicles can't be diesel. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. I will give a caveat to that, that in certain areas already, so the centre of Oxford, we're seeing a zero emission zone. Mm -hmm. In the centre of London, we're arguably going to see a zero emission zone. Paris, from the end of this year, is going to become a zero emission zone for some types of vehicle. So to say that it's we're always going to be able to use our diesel vehicles exactly the way that we want to it that's going to change for sure so you're not going to be able to take a little tour through the center of paris in your three and a half ton four and a quarter ton diesel motorhome you know going under the 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 eiffel tower they're just going to say nope you can't come in so how can i come in oh well if, if you're electric so there is going to be a change in the way we use vehicles and there could be costs associated to running an older diesel vehicle but the fact that they will still be available will be yeah they will still be there i mean the change is just so huge isn't it that's the thing and the thing that strikes me is that we're on a journey with this we're still discovering the answers aren't we as we go on it and it's a big education piece for everyone ryan i just want to come back to you and ask you about the e-transit and the e-transit custom. For listeners, just explain the difference of them and, and how we use them in our world of camper vans and motorhomes. Yeah, sure. So the, uh, the e-transit 
is a, is a transit-based vehicle. So in our world, we call that a two-ton vehicle. It's typically the bigger size transit that you would see. Very popular at the minute for delivering things to you uh, via Amazon, as an example. If you see one of the, the big uh, Fords turn up, that would be a transit. And also for things like supermarket delivery. So not only do we have panel van versions of the transit, we have chassis cabs and a chassis purpose-built for motorhome use as well. Now, as well as transit, we've got then transit custom, uh, which is the slightly smaller size vehicle. In our world, we'd call that a one-ton vehicle. And it's also quite a popular vehicle in more retail use. So we have, for example, a bus version of that. Uh, typically, they get used for things like taxis, or even more so now, people loan them as a personal use vehicle. So we've got the Transit Custom, the one-ton size, and then Transit is two-ton size. So can I make a comparison to sure. another brand? The yes. one-ton is a VW Transporter. Right? Equivalent, yeah, better. Sorry, sorry better, to do that. better version. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Said the man from Ford. Yes, we launched the electric version of Transit uh, just recently, so that's called eTransit. Uh, it's available now to buy. We're starting to see interest from a range of leisure converters. Um, to start to say experiment and prototype with that, recognising where the future's heading. You will see, if you go to the NEC show in October, you will see motorhomes on the e-transit. Motorhome manufacturers in the UK uh, have them, and they are experimenting with them. One in particular, who we can't name, unfortunately, today, but Ryan's working very closely with them, and we will be revealing that in probably a few weeks' time, won't we? We're allowed to talk about it then. Yeah, there'll be, uh, there'll be news coming. So, yeah, exciting news. And then for sure, when we get to uh, October, uh, you'll see the thing in the yeah. flesh. Yeah. So if you go into the NEC, you'll see it. Keep an eye on the press. It will come out very soon. But I can tell you, this is a, not really a secret, is it? But you say the transit's better. The new VW Transporter will be a Ford Transit. Is that right? People will be aware that uh, Ford and VW are entered into an alliance, so we're working together, and there's, there's lots of uh, good reasons for that. I'm sure we'll come on to those. But, yeah, it's fair to say that the, what we call the, the, the next-generation one-ton cargo van, uh, which we're launching very shortly as the new Transit Custom, uh, will soon feature also in the, uh, the VW product range. So, basically, take the VW badge off and rip the skin off. It's all Ford underneath, isn't it? I would not provide any other comment on that. I'll, I'll let you use your imagination. Ryan's been briefed not to talk about it. I'm pushing him. Paul, we can. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, So we let's can. talk about it. Right, so as the man, it's all about collaboration. Yeah. For your industry of EV, mm. like Mercedes and VW worked together before with the Crafter and the Sprinter, that's going to happen a lot, isn't it? It's going to happen an awful lot. What we're going to see is partnerships coming up all over the place, uh, which are already quite well documented. I mean, the, 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 it was a surprising one to say VW and Ford are really getting into bed together um, but it's very clear that they are and we would expect to see that develop I think there's going to be stuff in the pickup world there's going to be stuff on their passenger vehicles and certainly stuff in the van world as well so you know the question is why is this happening and and the cost of research and development is huge so even to move and you you'll be familiar your listeners will be familiar with Euro 4 Euro 5 Euro 6 and soon to be Euro 7, that is a really expensive process to go through. The, the redevelopment of engines to drive down the CO2 emissions from those engines is, is costing people fortunes, manufacturers a fortune. And if you look at uh, actually the, the most valuable manufacturer in the world today is Tesla. 
Because they haven't got to go through all of that process. And also, I mean, cut on a very long story short, they're selling green credits to the other manufacturers because they're missing certain targets. So we're clear that all of the direction of travel, all of the development and research is going into driving down emissions and probably to zero emission very, very quickly. When you look at the collaborations between Renault and Nissan, and that includes Mercedes as well, so Mercedes take product from Renault and Nissan and badge it with the Mercedes badge. You've got the Stellantis group now. There are effectively four manufacturers together, but then you, uh, you see Toyota buying their product as well and badging it as their own product. So we're seeing it in every different sector of the marketplace, and we will continue to see that. And we're seeing it in trucks, and we'll see it in cars as well. Now, one thing that's interesting from our conversations is that the change to electric vehicle cars... So EV cars has been around for 10, 11 years? Yeah, I, I mean, arguably began in earnest sort of the early 2010, 11, 12, that sort of time period. Vans had a go at around the same time and it, it dropped off. The technology wasn't there to be able to do what they needed to do, particularly around weight. And we'll come on to payload, which I know is a, a critical thing within the motorhome market. But payload was an issue and operating those vehicles was difficult. But moving through to about 2016-17 started to track both electric cars and vans, but cars in particular. And we got what we call a J-curve, so that, that sort of beginning and then woof, straight up. And, and that's where cars are at at the moment. We'll top a million vehicles on the road, million electric vehicles on the road in the UK, probably at some point this year if it hasn't already happened. Vans are slower because we're, we're still seeing, so there's growth and significant growth, but we're, you know, we're bumping up against the challenges that we're, you know, the challenges that you will experience in the motorhome market. If I walked, as I walked around here today, I saw one electric camper van. I saw a lot of electric stuff like solar and uh, bikes and scooters. You know, the adoption of electric is great, right? Where it makes for being more efficient, but actually, the challenge of converting an electric van you know, into a motorhome is still quite high. But we're also experiencing challenges, and again, to do with payload, the way it's used, how far we've got to go, all of those challenges we're facing in the van corporate world, so the, the Amazons of this world, the BTs of this world, British Gas and others, all committed to making those changes are struggling a little bit to get their head around all the challenges. Some of that is power, some of that is range, some of that is payload. There's lots of different um, challenges. So we're seeing growth and we're seeing accelerated growth. The car market pretty much sorted. That's going to be electric. Um, we know that you know towing needs to improve there, particularly for this sector, but there is a good number of vehicles. But now coming into the uh, the van market and the commercial vehicle market, it's it's happening and happening at pace but with some challenges. But am I right in saying this? So EV cars, one in five new car sales are now electric. We, we're seeing this transition to like the e-transit e custom. Mm-hmm. That's coming. But the next development won't be the vans we need in our world. It's likely to be articulated trucks. And then will come the conversion to the higher, bigger vans that we convert us into motorhomes. But that means that's probably 10 years away in reality, isn't it? But doesn't that mean that we get all that learning, expertise and knowledge So by the time you guys are kind of commissioning these electric vans that we want, it's sorted. They're brilliant. Yeah, they'll all be sorted. It'll be fine. You're absolutely right. So what we've seen is is cars going a okay, fine. All the technology is there. 
it's delivering, it's delivering on range, it's delivering on charging speed, it's delivering on lifestyle, it's delivering on so many different ways. Vans, yeah, we're getting there. We're, we're beginning to see the development of the technology. The range is getting to be usable because everybody expects vans to need to do 250 miles a day. They don't. The, the average is less than less than 70, in fact, 67 miles a day. What does, what does the e-transit do, Brian? E-transit, so uh, WLTP is about 190 uh, miles, I think. Uh, but Worldwide it, uh, harmonized light vehicle test. That's the one. Yes, that's the uh, that's that's the number you'll see um, in the in the window. That's like the urban combined mileage, isn't it? The one yeah, we, no, no, we no, no, read no, no. and we never believe. But what does this really mean, this WLTP? Because in my humble opinion, being somebody independent that doesn't have to stick to this little sticker we put in the window, it means nothing at all. So we can say 196. In another country, we might say 126, because the test is different. Well, that happened in the USA with the Winnebago. Yes, it did. And, and I think the important thing is to test it within your own environment, to understand. And, and, and Ford, actually, on their website, have a tremendously helpful um, tool, which is um, you're able to plug in what you want to do with that vehicle, what speed you're likely to be going at, what weight you've got in the vehicle. And then, actually, you can get some answers to what range you will get in your vehicle. I posted recently uh, a, a review of the VW ID Buzz camper that was uh, fully charged just last week. It's an electric vehicle show. And I mentioned that it had this mythical 250 miles range, uh, according to WLTP, the official measure. And somebody was kind enough to comment that actually it can be 145 in the cold or it can be 295 in the warm in the inner city. So we've got this wild range which we worry about, but it's actually the same in a diesel vehicle. You know, how we drive that vehicle, where we're going, what we're doing with it, what temperature is outside, all of those things impact the range that we get. We just got to learn a whole new way of doing things. So we call it range anxiety, don't we? And you hit the nail on the head. We have to learn a whole new way of doing things. So lots of people have been asking questions. We've been putting a call out for questions. We've had loads of them it's been brilliant and we've we've drawn some key themes from them one of them is around this topic of range anxiety and Dave in Wiltshire asks uh, my work really limits my holiday time how is an all-electric van going to be able to get me from home in Wiltshire to the Alps via the tunnel without having to wait hours to charge it I think the, the message there is is today it won't right and what we're on is effectively a, a journey because, yeah, the, the vehicles that are out there today, the electrified vans especially, are in their infancy. The technology is changing all the time. Today, the limitations that we have, you know, won't be there in the future as we move to new battery technologies. As the infrastructure starts to improve, again, infrastructure's got a long way to go. You know, in the UK, we're not doing a bad job. It can be better, but, but we're not doing a bad job. But certainly as you move across the continent, and especially into southern European countries, they're, they're way behind even where we are today. So in terms of doing those long journeys, it's going to be a challenge. But the key thing we have to think about is how we plan our journeys, right? So we do a lot of planning today, even in your diesel vehicles, where you want to go, where you want to stop, when you're going to get something to eat. And that just becomes even more important when you think about charging your EV vehicle. So where are you going to go? Is there a charger there? How long am I going to stop for? How much juice can I put back into the tank? But then, of course, again, there's a, there's a lot of pressure on, I think, the wider industry, especially on places like the campsites, etc., to understand, OK, so when I get to my final destination, 
what do I do there? Can I charge my vehicle in order that I can actually get home again? But sure, there's, li- there's limitations today. Choosing an electric vehicle to travel to the Alps to is probably not the right choice to make today. But certainly in the future, that will be uh, something that is, that is realistic. Do you want to add anything on range anxiety, Paul? Yes, I do. Because I think it's, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It, I, w- I would say to that person, Dave, in Wiltshire, don't do it because you're time-bound and distance-bound. Now, if he wasn't time-bound, there's no, char- no, no, no challenge, really, because, as, as Ryan pointed out, that you are able to um, plan in your charging. So you would just stop more often yeah. um, and you would take time out and you would enjoy the journey just as much as you will enjoy the destination and particularly if you can at that destination enjoy some charging get get yourself sorted and then you can go on from that base to enjoy everything around about you it's just a different way of thinking yeah. but range anxiety is definitely going to be a thing uh, for the short term because the vans you know bear in mind particularly the heavily converted vans are like driving a house brick the aerodynamics of these vehicles will impinge just in the same way that you get the wltp diesel sort of 34 37 miles per gallon when you're actually getting 21 22 in your camper van so you're going to experience that same thing so just Hang on till the technology is right for your use case. There's a great phrase that you use in your industry, this whole EV industry, ABC, always be charging. So my kids do this. My, my kids are teenagers. They've got phones, smartphones. As soon as they see a power cable, they plug it in. They get in the car every journey. Dad, Dad, can I borrow the power cable? They come home from school. The phone goes down the side. They plug it in. We don't think like that with our cars, do we? We have this mentality of once a week, we drive to the fuel station. We put diesel or petrol in it and we forget about it for a week owning an electric powered vehicle is not like that so i think we all need to be kind of re-educated on it don't we it was also interesting talking to edmund king at the aa how few evs are rescued due to the battery going flat Mm. it was less than one percent it's tiny another thing i do is the ev cafe which is an educational kind of webinar and we work with the aa and a number of other sponsors of ours to help myth bust this reality that we're always running out of energy on the the side of the roads and so we're we're very well versed in that stat from edmund around it's just a tiny it's the same things it's wheels it's you know windscreens going out punctures all of those potholes potholes it's like a classic chestnut the reality is we we believe the hip talk we hear down the pub we don't have the information we need to make a good decision so ryan i want to talk about used values we've scratched the surface of charging we're going to do a whole series of episodes on that and we've got some charging companies coming on the podcast to talk about some of the issues of those so we're going to skip over it today but i want to talk about the used values and rob asks will combustion engine prices rise as we move to ev so will a diesel vehicle go up in price in 2034 supply will be short uh, and if demand stays strong this will happen surely diesel's going up in value low emission zones will be increasing so what will that do to the diesel vehicle prices probably a lot of people here have got experience with this but residual values at the minute in the automotive industry are all over the place right so uh, what were the limitations on um, supply 
you know, people have been able to sell their used vehicles in some cases for as much as what they paid for them two, three years ago. So we're in a very strange period at the minute. And of course, there's a lot of press at the moment uh, around what, you know, things that Tesla are doing with their pricing. Again, has an impact on what happens to the wider EV industry and uh, knock-on effect to residual values. For sure, as we move forward, uh, as the volumes of diesel powertrains comes down, that will play an effect in terms of how much that costs us to provide. Uh, and the supply base cost, as the volumes go down, the price typically increases, but there'll still be relatively large number of those for uh, an extended period of time. And then the other challenge really for the industry is, is how we manage the increasing constraints on emissions compliance uh, within diesel. So as, as was mentioned earlier, um, you know, EU5, EU6, uh, EU7 is not far down the road. You know, the technology required to meet that standard is, you know, very high. And of course, that will drive cost into the vehicle, which is, you know, some of our leaders have been um, you know, very clear on social media that that's, that's an added challenge for us. We'd rather be putting more of our money into uh, electrification, but we, we recognise you know, the importance of issues around the climate and sustainability, so hence, yep, we've got to meet these challenges, but it will drive in costs. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting ride to see what happens with the residual values, and for sure, at a certain point in time, you know, EV will be the, uh, uh, the main volume play, and as we see that, that's good news because EV costs will come down. But at the same time, there'll be some uh, interesting movements on, on diesel powertrains. So do you think diesel powertrains will go up in price just before this deadline? <laughs> We're all going to go out and buy a diesel motor in 2034, depending on what you say now. Yeah, so I think I'll have to, I'll have to polish off the crystal ball. Uh, it's an interesting one, right? You know, if you're, if you're one of the, f- the last people to buy a diesel powertrain, what does that mean going forward? It's great that you'll be able to perhaps do things with it that you might not be able to do with an EV, who knows? Uh, but at the same time, as Paul mentioned, right, where, where will you be able to drive that vehicle? We just don't know. So there's, there are so many unknowns at the minute. I wouldn't put my bet anywhere. What's your view, Paul? So <laughs> I, I totally appreciate Ryan's position on this yeah. because, you know, as, as Ford, it's very difficult to be able to put your money on black or red. Uh, my view is it will be like, so imagine, imagine going to the shops with all the lovely, sleek, like LED TVs and you rummage around in the back of the shop for that one of those great big bus of a you know TVs oh I want one of those I genuinely believe the technology will develop over the next three to five years that we will see people going why would I ever want to buy another diesel vehicle and actually it, it doesn't matter that the cost of the diesel vehicle will go up in the future. It will in the new vehicle. It's not likely to go up in, in the resale value. What we're already seeing is diesel Euro 5s going down in price than, than their Euro 6 counterparts. So the modern, more modern technology with lower emissions, greater freedom to roam into all the different towns and cities you're not going to have that same freedom. So as a motorhome owner, unless you want to drive around in a field in the middle of, you know, nowhere, mm. then you're unlikely to be able to use that vehicle in the same way. Right. And I know a lot of people do want to go off grid, right? And that could be a thing. But I think solar technology and, and the ability of the vehicle to power the, the, your camping lifestyle is, all, is going to dramatically improve. 
What we've got to imagine is, think about the technology development over the last few years. That you know, We've all got a mobile phone in our pocket, haven't we? And these little things here now house the kind of computing technology that used to be housed in a building like this. So if we can do from this to this in 15, 20 years, what can we do with an absolute mandate based on the climate that we all love and want to enjoy, the nature, um, that we, we love to get out in, what can we do in order to protect that? And with every country in the world focused on this and every pound of investment is getting much greater return in the green tech world than in any other sector, my money's wholly on the fact that other technologies, zero emission technologies, will take over um, and nobody will want a diesel in 2034. We love the environment in this little niche of ours, the one we call Motomi and Camper Valley. We're passionate about it, in fact, and we protect it. But the environmental impact of mining for lithium mm -hmm. is a nightmare, isn't it? I mean, I'll, I'll come to you on this, if I may, Paul. Yeah. There's just not enough of it is one issue. Yeah. How are we going to make enough batteries? And we're destroying the environment by just creating all these electric cars anyway, surely? The biggest concern is not so much about the lithium. Lithium is an issue, definitely. But the, the biggest concern is about the nickel and the cobalt that is being dug out in the mines across uh, different countries that don't have the same standards around human rights or the way that they treat uh, people in, in their countries. So that has been a concern. But forever it's been used in petrol and diesel refining for, for years, and, and lots and lots of nickel and cobalt is, is, is active in that process, and we've never worried about it. We're quite happy to kind of gloss that over, but actually now we've said, oh, we want to move to electric and we want to put it in batteries and do all of those kinds of things, we're now flagging it as a concern. And actually that's a good thing, because what we're seeing is fair trade versions of mining, um, around, you know, around those practices that are taking place. And we're seeing that also other technologies are being applied to batteries. Ford and, and Ryan can tell better than me are moving to a different kind of makeup, chemical makeup for their battery. There's also um, sodium-based batteries coming on stream. I mean, sodium is salt, basically, and we can get that from wherever in the world. We have an abundance of it. There will be different answers that won't rely wholly on lithium and we'll get to the point where we can balance off the lithium requirement with the sodium and other uh, different technologies, phosphates, that allow us to do what we need to do. So the batteries are a challenge, yes, today, but again, everything is in the pipeline about how we can change that and make it more sustainable and protect the planet. That we're not going to save the planet whilst destroying the planet at the same time, and that's been recognised. And this is all about a move to zero emissions, isn't it? That's part of that green journey that we're on. Ron, I want to come to you and talk about battery chemical production and Ford's view on this. Andrew Ditton, our good friend, asks, I'd love to know how we will meet the 2035 deadline when there are not enough natural resources to satisfy current battery technology. Yes, I think um, the, the, the technology is moving very, very quickly. I say Ford have announced just this year that we've got a, a new chemical makeup for some of our batteries uh, called LFP, uh, which actually removes the need for some of those uh, minerals that um, Paul was just referring to there, so cobalt and nickel, for example. So, again, we're in, we're in the infancy, really, of this um, EV technology journey. 
the technology that we see is there and available today will be very different in 10 years time. So for sure, if you was to scale up what we know today and how many vehicles we need in the future, yeah, the math doesn't work, but that's not gonna be the case, right? In 10 years time, what we need to support the development of those vehicles will be a, a very different thing. Um, as well as that, it's fair to say that, uh, you know, all o uh, automotive OEMs are looking at um, various solutions. So not only electrified vehicles, but vehicles powered by perhaps hydrogen or maybe even sustainable fuels. Um, so I think it's fair to say that as we move forward, considering you know, different industries, different use cases, there'll be different technologies that support the, the propulsion systems of, of those vehicles. So we're not all going to be reliant on one single thing that we have to find millions of tonnes of to, to dig out of the ground. That's just not the case. So is it a case then, Paul, we just need to trust in the journey? <laughs> no, it's not a case of just trust, sit back. It's a case of, of be active, be a voice. And, and it's kind of why I took the decision. I spent most of my life in the corporate world, right? Just kind of helping companies move to elect vans of any kind, actually. but And also a little time uh, helping auto sleepers with motorhomes and things like that. So I've, I've kind of done lots of bits in the automotive sector, but there was nobody shouting about, you need to focus on this challenge. So is it going to be motorhome, Matt? Are we going to be looking at EV motorhome, Matt, in the future? But we need somebody that will stand up for this transition and, and keep the, uh, the manufacturers honest, which I get in trouble with the good people at Ford every now and again for just sort of saying, no, oh, this needs to happen. And, and the same with any manufacturers. And also rely upon the fact that actually the more noise we make, the more chance we have to impact and make change. A lot of this change has come through people sticking to their guns and saying, no, the climate thing is an issue. And we're beginning to see, you know, all of the research that's been done over the 20, 30, 40 years that is now coming out and being seen for the first time because it got swept under the carpet. And we can't be doing that. So be a voice, be active in your space to say, no, we want this to be better. Ford, we need batteries that will take us uh, further. And there is one coming, there's a battery upgrade coming. So that's great news. And the same with Mercedes, the same with the Stellantis Group. They will demand greater and better things from the manufacturers, the, the people that will speak up. And that's what we need. People with a voice, and that's why I stepped out of the corporate world, so I didn't get people going, no, you can't say that. I want to be able to say it, and I want to be able to call people on decisions that they're making so that we get the most sustainable, most effective future that we can wish for, and that we get to be able to do all of the things that we do today, right? To be able to go up into the Alps from the heart of Wiltshire, or go across to Morocco. What a great thing that Baileys did in that test and learn environment of taking I think it was two caravans and a motorhome across to Morocco into the Sahara Desert and you're thinking what well, this is crazy why would you do that well for the same reason that there's a guy in a Nissan Aria today which is an electric Nissan running from the North Pole to the South Pole he found a way to charge that vehicle somewhere in the in the North Pole in beyond the Arctic Circle with no charging how's he been able to do that Oh, don't know. But what we know is that that could help rural campsites in the future. Be a voice. Be celebrating the technological advancements that we're seeing across the industry and then help get them to the places where they meet your need the most. Yeah. That's very encouraging. <laughs> Thank you. Now, we've got a whole episode coming up on, you mentioned campsite charging. 
Yeah, I've tripped an entire campsite out just by turning on my electric toaster. <laughs> yeah, never mind charging, recharging an e-vehicle. So we're going to dig into that and deep dive into that on another occasion. But Lorna in Evesham is worried about her weight. Not her weight, her motorhome weight. So it's true though, isn't it? And this is not a well-publicised fact that an all-electric vehicle, you're allowed to drive it up to four and a quarter tonne, even without a C1 licence. That's something that's been uh, worked on recently by various government organisations. I mean, it's, it's fair to say that a, you know, a typical three and a half tonne GVM motorhome, which is normal really, right? So anyone, anyone that's got a, uh, you know, had a B licence could only drive up to three and a half tonnes. But when you've got a, a limit of three and a half tonnes and you add in several hundred kilos worth of battery technology and motors into it, and then you have to add in your motorhome conversion. Then you want to get four people in the vehicle plus all of their stuff. It just the, the numbers just don't add up. So for some time now, the, the leisure industry has been lobbying to extend that three and a half ton limit up to something higher. Uh, various markets around um, Europe in, have been doing various things to that extent, but it's, it's looking highly likely now that we'll have a harmonised view of something like 4.25 ton will be allowed to be driven by a B-class licence holder uh, as long as it's got uh, an EV powertrain in the vehicle, which is great for the leisure industry. It's something that had to happen and is, is just a key enabler. And Paul, have you been involved in this bill that Parliament are reviewing where they're going to scrap the C1 restriction so we can all drive seven and a half tonnes again? That's under review in Parliament now, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, uh, funnily enough, yes, uh, but only by virtue of we've all got a voice. So we've all got a voice and we can all speak into these government consultations, they call them. So the Department for Transport issues a consultation and invites anybody with an opinion to speak and to put in your opinion. So this abolition of the, the, the limit at 4.25 tonnes to 7.5 tonnes. It may happen. Us that passed our driving test before 1997, um, and I'm certainly one of those, we have that permission to drive up to 7.5 tonnes, and we may be going back to that to consider you know, how that uh, can be done for, for the wider audience. But what we know about at the moment is the 4.25 tonne gives us a, a great opportunity to actually extend the payload that we've got on those mid, mid to large size vans. So if we think about the 4D Transit, without that 750 kilos payload, it would have a payload that is neither use nor ornament. I mean, the Mercedes Sprinter, for example, has a payload as a van in an electric guise, today there's a new one coming of 731 kilos. That's nothing. That's nothing. And you stick 500 kilos of conversion, me and you wouldn't be able to go on holiday together, mate. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> because we just, we, we couldn't even carry the toaster. And that's the reality that giving this extra 750 kilos could actually make an improvement in payload on an electric vehicle. So it's definitely worth doing your homework, finding out what the chassis are available. The chassis are available with up to 1,700 kilos payload at least today as a bare chassis. And then in the future, I know of a vehicle that's coming out in 2025. It's a little way off, but not that far. Uh, and they're proposing a two and a half ton payload on a chassis with a really decent range on the batteries that they've got because of the improvement in battery tech, the improvement in bodywork tech, 
and the weight of the chassis is no longer steel, it's going to go to aluminium. So there are such developments around this specific space. So when you're forced to focus on something, you come up with a solution. When you can do what you've always done, you kind of get a bit lazy. But focusing on, wow, we need to make a difference, and what electric vehicles is the company, watch out for these guys. They're coming out with chassis-based vehicles and they are really making a difference already. Lots and lots of people queuing up at the door to say, when, how do we sign up to be a part of this and get that vehicle and build it into what our ecosystem looks like for the future? So you say, what is their name? We're yeah. going to see other company brands coming into this market as well. Brands we've never heard of before, aren't we? You won't be surprised to hear that, well, you might be surprised to hear that a lot of them are going to come from China. I mean, I'm a great fan of what Arrival was another company that, that came and unfortunately didn't execute in the right way. They were hugely valuable, hugely respected, but they missed a few key milestones and just kind of have dropped off the radar a bit. But the Chinese have been doing this for a long time. They've been producing more electric vehicles than any other country in the world for the last 10 years. And... What we're seeing is more and more electric vehicles coming out of China that actually we're getting quite familiar with. So don't be surprised to see Maxus as a, a brand in the UK. They're already considering con converting the larger vans into electric motorhomes. And those guys are going to come on with innovation, with the battery technology. All of the battery technology, a lot of it, comes out of China and they're the ones developing stuff and they'll be providing their own manufacturers, their own brands, if you like, the best of the technology and the first of the technology, arguably, unless the might of Ford can do something to change that, and I hope they can. Let's hope they can. Gosh, what a topic. It feels like we've scratched the surface and a little bit like lifting the lid on a can of worms. You've really helped clarify a few things about future gazing into this. So, Ryan and Paul, thank you both ever so much. And no doubt if you've got further questions i'm sure you have i've still got lots we will be covering lots of topics on this on future episodes of the podcast but i'd love to get your question and you can do so by going to motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash ask matt and you can record your question there or just fill it in on a little form really simple stay tuned for more topics on this and around it change is coming that's inevitable I think we've been, we've been led to believe that and reaffirmed by these guys today. We need to be prepared, we need to be informed, and we need to be ready. But we need to have a conversation about it. It's, it's a big topic. We've got an episode coming up very soon with someone very senior who used to be at National Grid talking about how are we going to get electricity around the country. He was recently featured on the BBC Top Gear, so stay tuned for that. We're also talking to the Charger Network experts. Charging points, you drive into them. You can't drive into one in a motorhome. You can drive one in a car. You, you see them in the services. There's no space, is there? What if you tow in a caravan? It just doesn't work. These conversations need to happen, and we can affect that change by having that conversation. So will you join me on these future episodes as we have these conversations? Let's fight our corner for this little niche of ours that we love and we're so passionate about because this is going to impact every one of us. Thank you for joining me as the live audience here at Camper Van Camper. Thank you to Warners for letting us run this episode. And again, Paul Kirby, Ryan Bowditch, thank you both very, very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com.